Okay, we're recording. Okay. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome back to another big episode of The Wrap with your favourite podcast host. My name's Dougal Cameron. We've got Alex with me opposite. How are you, mate? Terrific. I'm going great guns. Uh, good to see the Eels get up in a big one. We did. Last Tw- night. 24-12 and a few terrible decisions gone against us. Mitch Moses was way up the sideline. Uh, he, whilst he was out, uh, we should caveat that um, it was an awful decision that uh, Morris was held up. Not surprising that the refs in the deep state are out to get Parramatta yet again mm-hmm. after 2009. Um, it's the resurgence of the Clintons. I wouldn't be surprised if the Clinton Foundation and Alexander Downer are involved in another deep state-based conspiracy funded by Soros, GetUp and the like to bring down... The working class club, I would mm-hmm. call. The, Mate, the, the, the club with the most people who are the salt of the earth, the real Australians having a go, the Parramatta Eels it rugby would league club. not surprise me one bit. Now, if you're wondering how come our speech is so good and clear uh, and <laughs> where is the dribbling, uh, <laughs> it will be helpful to understand that our darling younger brother Andy is away on core camp um, doing his thing with the boys in the bush. That's right. Uh, so we've just got two of us this week. We won't be bringing you the sports and culture report. We've just got the wrap for you. Um, I hope you can deal with that for the interim week. Speech pathologists everywhere in the Sydney area are crying this week <laughs> because they don't get the business of the young DOS man. Yes, they are. Uh, so what we like to do on this show, we like to cover some news, current affairs, um, some great topics, usually a domestic story, an international story. That's what we're going to do for you today. Um, but before we do, we like to have a, a segment called Jumping to Conclusions, yep. um, where we jump to a conclusion uh, which might be a little bit out of the norm, out of the ordinary, uh, but one that nonetheless we believe, one something that we think should happen or that we think is worth, uh, deserving of criticism. Yep. Um, so we're going to do one this week. And before we do that, actually, we're just going to give a quick shout out to uh, the CHP page on Patreon. We've just signed up to Patreon um, it's, a, it's a way where we can get uh, crowdfunded support um, so we can develop the podcast. We want to um, be getting some new microphones, some new camera gear. I just picked this up this week, one of these bendy tripods. Um, it's not tw- what it looks like for at 25, first For 25 bucks, because you know, that's what all the professional vloggers have. And you know, we didn't think we would be those guys uh, who'd we be really walking hope- around JB Hi-Fi filming ourselves. We really um, hoped that we weren't going to be those guys. <laughs> but we are now those guys, and yeah. we would like... Um, some some uh, money. Some walking around money. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, we will go straight into production. It will um, go into production. We'll put yeah. the link in the description, but that's enough of hustling you for money. Um, At least we're honest about it. I say, you know what? Everyone else uh, wants to slip you some kind of two-minute elevator presentation about why they deserve money, and it kind of tugs on the heartstrings a little bit. Ours is not really an empathetic one. We just need more stuff for production. Yeah. Um, um, you know, if we're going to hit you up for money, we, at least we're going to be honest about it. Yep, we we're not going to sting you outside of Martin Place when you're just getting off a train yep. uh, and sting you for something unrelated, uh, sign you up for two years to a World mm. Vision program where they show you the worst pictures going in around in Africa. Look, we're mm. honest. We're up front. Um, yeah. Quick shout out to Black, who, Will Black, who was our first donator. Uh, it's little as a dollar a month. So the link is in the description. If you like, if you want to help fight the deep state, the Clintons have several hundred million bucks. Two hundred fifty million. Uh, whilst she uh, she managed to amass whilst uh, Secretary of State. While on a government in, salary. On government salary. So at the taxpayers' <laughs> expense. So uh, work that one out, gentlemen. 
Um, but also another big shout out to artist, author, uh, super producer, Superman in general, Chick Olsen for his donation as well. So we really appreciate it. Um, it's going to, I think the best cause was just finding the truth to Veritas. Um, so thank you again and we really, really appreciate it. All right, huge. So jumping to conclusions. Mm. Alex, what you got? Um, I'm going to say it. Uh, Bill Shorten is the least liked person in Australia by a long way. Really? Yeah, I'm going to say it. By a long way. Interesting. Ooh. That's a good conclusion. Yeah. Mine was NBA specific. Oh, uh, here we go. Which See, was is, that yeah. um, the All-Stars uh, should be competing in at least one other All-Star activity during that weekend. Be it the three-point competition, the dunk contest, or the skills competition. Because right now, everything else except the All-Star... Look, the All-Star game isn't even that fun to watch. But the other activities are even less fun to watch. So okay. I would like to see the big names uh, be up there and making those other activities watchable. Okay, well, the thing is about this segment is that where there's supposed to be some kind of discussion, some kind of debate, it's difficult to do that when I literally made that suggestion to you and so your conclusion is exactly my suggestion. No. So that, that was... obviously makes <laughs> a little bit more difficult because your original <laughs> suggestion for the All-Star Game was that the dunk contest should be entirely constituted by those in the All-Star game. I said no, because we need some high flyers who are not necessarily good, actually good basketball players. So I said instead, my suggestion, my alternative fact, was that uh, the uh, all All-Stars should have to uh, contribute and, and uh, play in at least one other skills challenge. So you've taken my suggestion, turned it into your jumping to conclusion, in arguably the least controversial jumping to conclusion well, we have ever had on the program. First things first, I think the... Sydney's speech pathologists are celebrating right now after that segment because there was a whole lot of dribble coming from that side of the table. Um, but secondly, you know what? I'm a man of the people. I like salt of the earth people. I'm happy for my opinions to be informed by the old Vox Pop. And that's what I've done this week. So Also interesting that you, considering on the last show, you were getting up me for not pa pa paying credit to our <laughs> uncle, Uncle Lachlan Cameron, for his comment about uh, grain waves being a revolution in chip technology. You got up me and you said... Well, particularly when it's a unique idea, you should play credit. Uh, on the f your first contribution to the program was both bastardised and uh, uncredited. So I think it, an apology is in order and also well, a, a retraction from your previous <laughs> statement. <laughs> well, look, I'm happy to hear about why Shorten is the most disliked person in Australia. And you know what? I think the people want to hear about the budget. I think the people want to hear okay. about the budget yeah. from the horse's mouth. Okay, well, I'm no horse, uh, but I do have a mouth. Um, Josh Frydenberg has uh, come out during the week and delivered the budget. Now, this is an election year budget. We should caveat uh, the following by saying it is an election year budget. And election year budgets typically are a little bit like a uh, party mix. There's a little something for everyone. Now, um, what we find out is... Licorice all sorts. It's a little bit of a licorice all sorts. Uh, what we find out is that uh, Josh Frydenberg, for the first time, um, his first budget as treasurer, he is saying that he's going to get us back into surplus. Now, not he's not saying we're currently in surplus, but he's saying that at the end of this year, we will be in surplus. Now, he's predicting a $7 billion surplus, which will be the first since a Howard Costello government. Now, what... The, uh, the pitch is, in many respects, for a small-c conservative government is the fact that they leave the money in the pockets of the people. Okay? That's the basic, one of the very, very fundamental principles. Now, we can, of course, I think what we should do is talk about the, budget, uh, the role of the state in terms of taxation and whatnot 
a little bit later on a more theoretical level, but I think I'll just go through a couple of the reactions, a couple of the key policy points of this budget in particular, um, because the budget, in truth, affects absolutely everyone, regardless of who you are. Now, so, we've had Sally McManus, who's a, a big union boss, um, who's pretty much... Uh, I think she got in trouble for, for saying something along the lines of, this is a bit of a by the by, but she got in trouble for saying something about our women dressing in skirts and high heels. Oh, uh, one of those ones. Yeah, she's one of these ones. Um, but her, her, her reaction is this. No plan for wage increases. No plan to make the big end of town pay their fair share of tax. Cuts to education and health. This is what they believe in. More of the same hashtag budget 2019. Okay, Tim Costello, who is the uh, brother of uh, Peter Costello. Uh, he's an, uh, a minister, a Christian. He said, the surplus delivered, but the world's poor once again forgotten. Our aid budget is now the least generous it's ever been. This is not who we are as a nation. Um, so, and uh, Get Up, of course, our favourites. Love Get Up. Soros-funded deep state operation that they are. Uh, That's what we eat here on the streets. We want more Get Up. We want more Get Up. Get Up and Ghosties. Uh, quote, the budget is back in the black and back on track. Quote, question mark. Unless you're a worker facing stagnant wages, renter facing a housing crisis, student forced to repay debt on minimum wages, unemployed person on Newstart, our poorest are paying the cost of this surplus. Um, yeah. So... Obviously, um, a lot of negative reaction coming from the left. Um, but, unsurprisingly, Tanya Plibersek uh, also said, cut $3 billion from TAFE and training restore $500 million and expect congratulations. Now, so, the government, Frydenberg's projecting a surplus in, of $7.1 billion in 2019-2020. Um, and some of the policies... We should, we should have a look at it as well. So how he got there. We love, love that. Now, we should also recognise the fact that this is what we call a paper surplus. This has not been realised yet. And if we cast our minds back to the inky, inky blackness, that was the um, Bowen... Uh, no, the Swan. The Swan government. Now, uh, Swan Swanee uh, famously said that Labor were about to deliver four consecutive years of surpluses, realised... None from four. So that was... Uh, and often this is the case, that in forecasting things like this, they never actually... They're a bit generous. They're, they're often quite generous. They're uh, optimistic. They're optimistic because you've got to remember... They're hyperbolizing their own assets. They, they, they've got to remember that when talking about taxation and revenue, the government is relying on economic growth. Your, your taxation is ultimately going to be a function of economic growth and productivity. Because your 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 tax your revenue is tax, and if people aren't earning any money, if people aren't making any money, you can't tax them anything, right? Now, so um, we should rem remember it is a paper surplus. However, um, yeah, and often if people aren't earning any money, the money that they get often from the government, so it's like a double hit. It's like your yep. your income goes down and your liabilities go yep. up at the yep. same time. So by the exact same amount, actually. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, unless you're a Keynesian, in which case there's a multiplier in there somewhere and they're able to generate money out of nothing. A little bit like fractional reserve banking. And I would encourage people at home to look at that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is a massive scam. Anyways, 
Uh, so, a couple of the highlights. Foreign Aid, uh, anyone who listened to the podcast last week uh, would recognise the fact that we're not massive fans of Foreign Aid. Um, it often ends up in the hands of those distributing it. And, it often and makes terrorists. It terrorists, as well as um, tyrannical dictators mm. um, orchestrated by the globalist uh, bureaucracy, which is the United Nations, which is arguably, uh, I would call it a, um, I wouldn't call it a terrorist organisation, <laughs> but I would say it's, um, it's definitely an oppressive organisation. Um, so foreign aid, the budget papers reveal that uh, foreign aid expenditure is expected to increase in real terms by 6.6% from this financial year to 2019-20, uh, before decreasing by 11.8% by 2022-23. Good Frydenberg, as far as I'm concerned. Dukes? Good Josh. Good Josh. Climate change. $2 billion to fight climate change. I'm not exactly sure how that works, um, but... Cylindra, maybe. Salute, yeah, or, or uh, another subsidy. They're already he- heavily subsidising renewables. Um, I don't know. Maybe they're going to pay people to stop using iPhones or whatever. Um, instant asset write-off. So this is a good one for small businesses. This is again, uh, this is speaks to the more broad point. But the instant asset write-off, which allows businesses to write off assets such as tools or equipment, if you're a tradie against their taxable income, expanded to now cover purchases under $30,000, up from $25,000. So that means that if you make a purchase... Um, maybe uh, a $27,000 van, maybe. Yeah, something like that. You can you can write that off against your taxable income, so you don't get taxed on that. Mm-hmm. So you obviously, when you talk to any kind of tax professional um, or anyone who's a financial advisor, the first thing that they will say to you is, we well, want to absolutely get, get you down to the absolute minimum taxable income that we can okay because obviously the more uh, taxable income you have the more tax you're going to pay that's the general rule Um, and a big one taking after I think they're taking a massive hint from uh, Gladys's Berejiklian's win in New South Wales an infrastructure spend of a hundred billion dollars over the next decades Um, over the next decades sorry so that's about ten billion dollars a year rough numbers you get to New South Wales roads I think a lot of it a lot of that will go to New South Wales um, because the states actually get their budget allocated from the federal budget. Yeah, we need to change that. Not kick it. I reckon we kick a lot of stuff back to the states, but that's a subject for another day. Just kick it back. Kick it back. Just kick it to the states. I mean, what's the point of having states if you're not going to kick it back to them? I don't know, mate. But you should kick it. Get some uh, interstate competition. Get the foot vote going. Where if one state's doing it poorly, go to another state. And that's exactly what I think. Um, I'm a, a much bigger fan of the US system in that respect. Mm. Um, you can see people, for example, are leaving California. Going in, to Texas. Going to Texas, uh, among other places, uh, at Seattle, in absolute droves because uh, California has... Sucks. It sucks. <laughs> um, it's the world capital of soy. Can't get a full cream <laughs> milk coffee anywhere. And... Um, yeah, it's a massive hub for social justice warriors. Okay, so... No, California doesn't actually suck. Just saying that you just have a bit suckier than what you could be. I think there are aspects that do really suck, but there are aspects that are cool and awesome. There are some so, cool aspects. There are some cool aspects. Um, where, whether it's balanced. Cool. Is LA Hollywood? Or California? What's California? Yeah. yeah. Is California Los Angeles LA? Is, in, is in... Okay. Los Angeles is in California. Hollywood sucks a bit. Hollywood sucks big time. Um, and also uh, San Francisco is in California oh Silicon Valley Silicon Valley that's got some good advantages and some disadvantages yeah 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 um, but it's basically the new globalist headquarters um, so <clears throat> free Tommy free Seth Rich mm-hmm 
check out the Clinton body count. It is surprisingly large. Um, so Bill Shorten's reply. Interestingly, both Shorten and um, the Libs are doing tax cuts. Yeah. They're both doing tax cuts, which is interesting. Yeah. It is It is surprisingly interesting. It is interesting. Uh, also surprising. Um, because what you, you <laughs> tend to see is that... Uh, the thing is... Uh, this is why, uh, uh, my estimation, uh, Labor ends up in, with big deficits, is that uh, they don't really... They'd like to spend a lot of money. So, uh, my, my estimation is, is that now that the, the, the Libs looks like they may give up the keys to the lodge, um, Bill Shorten is banking on the fact that they've got a little bit of money in, in the bank. And he's going to cut a bit of tax, but he's also going to spend a lot of money. So, you will, we will see this deficit blow out uh, quite a bit. So, Shorten said he's going to give uh, high income tax benefits for those earning 45 grand and below. And he will match Liberals' tax cuts for 48 grand to uh, for the people earning between 48 and 126 rubber band banks um, over forward estimates only. Uh, Labor won't change, however, the 32.5 cent tax bracket to 30 cents. So a lot of what a lot of people are saying at the moment is that around this particular budget is they're saying that, that Scott Morrison is giving a lot of big tax breaks to the big end of town. And so what, what they mean by that is that um, basically what's happening is is that fairway in the future um, I think by about 2022 2023 around that um, the tax cuts implemented uh, uh, Morrison wants to bring it more in, uh, make it a less progressive taxation system. So basically, everyone's kind of paying around thirty to thirty-two and a half cents on the dollar um, for the for their marginal tax bracket. Um, and so, what that ends up meaning is that if you're earning two hundred thousand compared to someone earning forty-five thousand, your tax break ends up being a lot larger, mm. right? Because obviously, um, if you bring that marginal tax rate down, uh, if you're earning more money, you're going to save more money than if you're earning less money. Now. I think this is a good opportunity to bring in the kind of the idea of progressive taxation and also to bring in what uh, this means for the, in terms of the state's role in the budget in general. Now, yeah. Duke, I'm going to kick it to you. What was your headline reaction from number one regarding the surplus? Number two, what would you say to someone who says that a budget is deeply unfair for, giving, for making the marginal tax rates more equal? Well, first thing I'd like to say is that uh, I like the surplus just because I don't fancy myself having to pay it back uh, for so long down the line. With um, interest. That's the big with killer. Interest, right? So the Chinese a lot of people talk about I don't want my kids to deal with climate change, a less popular but potentially more valid uh, kids argument is I don't want my kids to pay off all the damn debt. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's something I'm kind of happy about. Um, Positive the, reaction. The second thing I was about, like the flat income. I don't mind the flat income because obviously income tax. Because if you earn more, then you're obviously going to pay more, right? It's yeah. not like you pay less amount, right? Yeah. It's just the same percentage. Um, which you know, I kind of don't mind. Um, and if you think about it, it's like thirty. What is it? Thirty, thirty-two cents. They're bringing it down to thirty cents. It's like, just think about that for a second. Let's say you work a nine-to-five job. You start earning your own money around 11.30 in the morning, just before lunch, I think you start yeah. earning your own money. But 9 to 11.30, you're working for the government. Yeah. You're working to pay uh, Tim Soup Parmesani. Yeah. Um, you're Gil Gillian the Reptilian Gillian Triggs. Gillian the Reptilian Triggs. You're working for the Clinton Foundation. 
um, get up. You're working for get up. There's like you're working for a lot of other people before you start working for yourself and for your family. Did you remember there was also the deep that- state? You're working for the deep state. You're working for the, you know. And I would like to see that number go down. I have yeah. to tell you. Now, if it was feasible, I know we have to pay off this debt, so it might be a future, you know, ideal hopesy uh, aspiration. But I would like to see that number. You know, maybe ten forty-five. I think would be like a good time to start working for yourself. That's a good short-term goal. I think at some yeah. point. Yeah. Um. I reckon around the morning tea time would be good. Not just a bit further away from lunch. Yeah. So, the, so the, uh, tax cuts in general, uh, they're a little bit taboo and I'm not exactly sure why. I don't think people, uh, the argument made is actually a, a good argument. Now, in terms of actual statistics, we should recognise the fact, uh, my favourite saying, uh, that of Australia's income tax, so of all the income tax, about a third gets spent on social security and welfare. Okay, so that's redistributed. So that's redistribution. That's essentially Marxism, if, if what we're getting down to. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's exactly what it is. You, you know, that's redistributionist. Um, but tax cuts across the board um, have been done before. And there's often, I think there's a mischaracterization where people often say, um, well, how are you going to pay for stuff if you cut taxes, right? This is, a good, this is a good question, and I think it hasn't actually been framed properly. If you go back to the Reagan administration, now, Reagan um, and Thatcher... The Reaganomics. So you've got Reaganomics and, and the Thatcherites. They kind of operated at the same time. There was a small difference um, between the tenure. But um, what Reagan was able to do, Reagan was able to implement kind of uh, tax cuts fairly, fairly uh, swiftly across the board, and because... Uh, business and economic growth was able to uh, kind of propel itself more rapidly, he actually ended up collecting more tax revenue. Okay, because just because you increase tax rates doesn't mean you get more tax revenue. Because number one, there's less incentive for, for business. Number two, less incentive for investment. Now, because this is a fundamental incentive question, right, when you talk about taxes. What you have to prove if you're the government when you tax the, the citizens is that you're a better spender of their money than they are, okay? That's for every single dollar. That's what you have to, and by better spending, that covers you know, uh, social, uh, the social costs as well as um, kind of all the operating costs as well, I would say. But that's the basic argument you have to make. And I don't think um, the, the, the kind of the small C conservatives actually make that argument properly. Um, they just kind of say, oh, well, we just like keeping our own money. It's like, well, why do you want to keep your own money? Because the government is saying every time they tax your money that they spend your money better than you do. And that's actually quite a confronting, and in a lot of libertarians will say it's just frankly it's just immoral, um, because you're using the full force of uh, uh, of the state to back it. Now, um, so I would I would also contend that uh, high tax rates don't necessarily equal higher tax revenue, because otherwise you just tax it 99% and still get the same amount of uh, revenue. Mm. Um, now. In terms of the incentive problem, the the thing about uh, kind of making the the but tax. Yeah, I'll just caveat that. Sure. Um, there's probably a good chance that if you lower the tax rate, you probably will get less tax revenue. Like it, lowering the tax rate does not mean you're going to get more tax revenue. I would say. Um, like I yeah, think it does that's not a pretty hard a... argument to make to say that. Frydenberg is going to fund, will be able to fund building the roads by lowering the tax rates. I think, I think you can make that argument. I can, I can, I can tell you, I reckon you can seriously make the argument. Because it, it, it's... I, well, it, how, but what if you go to 5% tax? Yeah. That doesn't mean you're going to have a lot more government revenue than you do at 30, 30%. 
because the tax rate's lower. Okay, well, if, if you're assuming that the only way that the roads get built is by the government building them, then potentially, then I can see your point. But I'm going to, yeah, if you want to go full libertarian, libertarian would say that the roads... No, but what I'm saying is that the idea that because the government's going to lower the tax rate at this point from 32% to 30% for people earning 44 to 200,000, I think it might be a stretch to say that the government's going to get more revenue from that. I think they will. I think I, I, I honestly think that this is not kind of beyond, like beyond at, the pale. It's not beyond the pale. I don't think this one. Okay. I, I think this is fairly actually quite reasonable, and um, particularly since we've already got such high high wages as well. You've got to kind of give business some incentive, and I think if you give them, you know, if you see what's happened in America with the with the U.S. economy, mm. uh, Trump has just totally awoken the dragon. Sure, he has. They're um, still running pretty big deficits though in America. They're running big deficits. I agree. Um, I don't think that's his choice so much as he's got to get something through past through the house because he's got all these damn globalist uh, rhino Republicans in there. Um, but I think you can see what happens. Like once you kind of take the training wheels off, if you can really kind of kickstart this thing, and I I, I I have a lot of faith in Australia as an economy. I just think we're just kind of really um, sidebagging ourselves with uh, massive minimum wage, massive taxes. It's like. You know, it's you got to run real hard just to get off the mark. Yeah, I get it. I'm just saying on a specific point, like there's no question the economy will function better with lower taxes, but I'm just saying, will the government get more revenue I from those taxes? I think they will. It happened with Reagan. It happened with Reagan. Okay. So, and I think there is a precedent for it. I just so if why wouldn't the Labor government, if they wanted more money, lowered the taxes? Because it's a hard sell for them to make. It's a hard sell for liberals to make, because. You have all these number, you have all these bureaucracies which rely on uh, kind of the enlargement of the state, and it's not a because what 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 Labor Party and the left have done is set themselves up as for the working class, right, and for the kind of the, the poor and the downtrodden. If you say we're going to give tax cuts across the board, particularly for business, um, that kind of goes against this whole oppressor uh, oppressor uh, oppressor, right. oppressor narrative. It's PR. It, it, 100% is PR. Okay. Why else would you be advocating for a high minimum wage? It's purely PR. It makes no sense economically. Okay. There's a lot of myths that go around, and it's just purely PR. Mm-hmm. Often these things are, for example, great economics but bad politics, and this is particularly for a unionised, f- union-funded Labor Party, and it's extraordinarily difficult to say, oh, yeah, we're going to get rid of the minimum wage. It's going to make everything a whole lot better, um, but we can't take your money now, unions. And the unions will run a hit campaign against... Labs. Anyways, um, just trying to see um, if there's anything else. Okay. We want to have a look at. Have you got anything else? Um, I think an interesting thing. What did you think of uh, Bill Short saying that he wanted? What did he say? Half of electric cars, half of all cars to be electric by 2030. Is that what he said? Um, he might have. Oh yeah, I think I heard something about it. I don't know. Yeah, I'll see if um, I get the exact. It's good to have um real facts on <laughs> on the podcast. We can get them. Um, why don't you just check, pull that up, Jamie? Um, Steinberg, you want to pull that up? Um, we have. Um, I don't like. I don't mind the idea of electric cars. My pro- This is one thing I understand. Now, this is this is a dumb question. I know it's going to be a dumb question, right? So, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I don't know. And you know what? I don't mind asking dumb questions. If you've ever been in my class, I would have asked a lot of dumb questions. My question is this, right? We use coal to generate electricity, right? Tell me. Why 
Burning coal to generate electricity, which electric cars use, is cleaner than using petrol, which burns petrol to make it go. Because you get electricity from coal. Well, I assume it, it will run in conjunction with the, uh, probably a 50% renewables target as well. But what I'm saying is you might say it's a renewables target, but are they generating the energy for an electric car from windmills? Or are they... Because my assumption is they're just getting it from coal anyway. Like, I assume there's someone who can provide a relatively simple answer for that, but I don't understand how if it's running on electricity, it's any more clean than a fossil fuel because you're burning fossil fuels to get the electricity anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's a... Um, that's a good point, and it's... There are a bunch of um, issues surrounding renewables and electric cars, particularly. This is why I said, do you remember when I said electric cars may be the biggest pyramid scheme? Yeah, this? but I just think there should be an answer for that. And well, there well, probably because, is. Well, because, like, for instance, you talk about... There's like probably the, a few uh, environmentalists banging their head on the on, on the steering wheel of their car as they listen to on this the, on the way on to the work. On the keyboard. But you should also remember that a construction of... A, 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 of um, an electric car is not super environmentally friendly. A construction of cars is not super environmentally friendly anyway. To actually get the electric car in the first place is not super environmentally friendly. Um, sure, but you get to show your friends and everyone thinks you're a cool Leo DiCaprio environmentalist. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Bill Shorten said that by 2030 um, was to make 50% of all new cars electric. Yeah. Um, uh, that's again... Uh, well, look, if people want to buy electric cars, and if they do help the environment, in fact, go and do it. I'm sceptical. This is just probably one of the things the government will probably get wrong. Well, I just feel like it won't work very well, but it might. I just think that limiting the consumer uh, freedom of Australian citizens is generally not a good thing. It's pretty tyrannical, don't um, you think, to, to limit... It is pretty tyrannical. What China does is China... Um, like to get a car in Shanghai and drive it on the road, it's very expensive. It's not actually the car that costs a lot of money. It's actually getting a plate because the plates are issued by the government. Um, and so what happens is um, the government makes the plates uh, very expensive uh, for um, for petrol cars yeah. and diesel cars, uh, but makes the registration for um, electric cars a lot cheaper. Mm. Uh, so that's one way they do it, but to get that done, you actually have to have uh, very high petrol plate uh, policies yeah. to, to start it off, which, you know, is not very good. But um, that's what China does. China wants the electric cars. China's all for the electric cars. China's, I think, the world leader in solar energy development. Um, I'm going to fix the camera because we know it's one of lost it. Um, okay, well, I think that covers... Uh, but yeah, so Bill Shorten came on uh, Alan Jones' radio show and said that um, it only takes eight to ten minutes to charge an electric car, which is, uh, according to experts, at least from my understanding, uh, patently false. It takes closer to eight to ten hours to charge. And also, what you have to do if you're going to make 50% of all uh, new cars electric, you have to have the infrastructure in terms of electric batteries and recharging stations. Mm. Um, can you imagine 50% of all new cars being electric? Like how expensive that would be to roll that out? Because if you're the state and you're well, saying... I assume the, the government... Would the government fund the electric charging stations? They would have to. I'm sure Tesla would do it. Tesla does has a lot of car stations charging around in America, I think. Yeah, but not in Australia. Yeah. So 2030 is 10 years. Yeah. Do you, know, do you imagine the cost? Do you imagine like the, how much the NBN costs? Imagine that... <laughs> 
strongly on electric car stations would. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see what Bill's Bill's got to say about it. I'd love to hear the details of it. Um, we got anything else? I think we've. Oh, do we? What about the policies of the budget? Have we got any on the policies of the budget anymore? Um, yeah. So, um, uh, Morrison's promising one-off energy assistance payment at least of at least seventy-five dollars to several categories of welfare recipients. Five hundred twenty-eight million for yeah. royal commission into the disability sector. Um, there's uh, yeah, the tax relief. 94, this is, you know, I'm going to say this is great Morrison and Frydenberg. I'm prepared to get, like, you know, I, I don't want to give these guys a massive rap. I don't think they deserve it most of the time. But I, I'm going to say this for, from my perspective. Um, 94% of workers will pay no more than 30 cents tax for every dollar they earn from 2025. I think that's it's a good line. I think it's effing awesome that they're doing that. I think every time the government comes to the realisation that the people spend the money more efficiently than the government, I think they deserve a massive rap. Um, and I think that we will see, um, I'm really hoping that we will see kind of a rallying around that and that public shows their support for that. Because that's that's, every time that the government t- cuts taxes, I'm, I, I'm happy to stand by it. I think if the government flips a coin every week and decides what taxes they're going to cut, I think that's fine. Okay. Tax cuts across the board. That's my policy. Alrighty. Have we got anything more before we move on to our international story? No. Of the otherwise I'll dribble. Brunei Sharia laws. Brunei Sharia laws. Now before I get onto this, I did give a plug to these um, bendy flexible tripods, and they're very useful for vlogging. Um, but they're also great as a toy uh, to play with during the podcast because you can flex, you can bend them around like I that. I think you're distracting yourself and the and viewers. I you can suggest. bend them around like that. Yeah, I reckon you might put it down now. <laughs> okay, I'll put it down. Um, let's go on to Brunei Sharia laws. Yeah. Um, so, Brunei is a small country sandwiched between two Malaysian states on the island of Borneo. A population of about 400,000 people. Um, now, Brunei is introducing laws making anal sex and adultery punishable by stoning to death. Sorry, Grandma. I know Grandma loves watching the show. I, didn't, I don't want to scare you, but that's, that's what, what's happened. And I had to use that language. Well, Grandma worked as a pharmacist, ran her own pharmacy for 15 to 20 years, so I guarantee you she's heard and seen more rogue mm-hmm. things than Okay. That. Uh, more specifically, offences such as rape, adultery, sodomy, robbery, and insult or defamation for Prophet Muhammad will carry the maximum penalty of death. Lesbian sex carries a punishment of 40 strokes of the cane and or 10 years of jail. The Sultan of Brunei, whose name is pretty hard to pronounce, but I'm going to have it try. Sultan Hassan al-Bolkia um, says, I want to see Islamic teachings in this country grow stronger. Uh, now, <laughs> a big problem for the progressive left uh, these days is that to identify and protect both Islam and LGBTQI, I think A as well is on the end now, um, is going to be very hard because these two are inevitably going to run into each other. It's like the unstoppable force of the pride parade versus the immovable object of the... uh, Hardcore Sharia law. Hardcore um, Sharia law Wahhabis. Um, (laughs) 
And, um, and fatwas. They don't actually like... like it's, I'll tell you what's funny, though, is that the Pride people are all for Islam, right? Um, because they rec- they're they fully on the they're well, fully on no, the progressive no. train. I wouldn't say that they're f- for Islam so much as they are totally against Islamophobia. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, then you realise that like all the hate crimes and all the homophobia still left in the Western countries actually comes from the other group of protected uh, <laughs> protected category species, protected species um, in the national park of. Yeah, uh, victimhood. Yeah, um, they're going to run into each other, and it's going to be a funny competition. Who wins the oppressive, the, the oppression Olympics out of those two? Because one of them's going to have to. There was recently that story of that school in England, um, in Birmingham, where there was um, a protest against the teaching of, I think, LGBTQ stuff in a school. Yeah, and it was all the Muslims in the school who were protesting it, um, and there were like several hundred of them, I think. But there were, yeah. there was no coverage of that, right? But, you know, the Women's March or whichever, you know, um, that that um, Sleeping Giants, there was a march against Sky News after the Christchurch thing that got, like, a lot of coverage, um, which had about 20 people. Particularly from the ABC uh, and SBS, the publicly funded broadcasters. Yeah. Um, and so I, um, I hate that I have to say this, because you shouldn't have to, but I'm going to have to anyway, um, that... I don't have anything against Muslims. In fact, I have probably more Muslim friends than any of the progressive left le- left in Australia has, right? I lived in a dormitory uh, in China where the dominant language was Russian because we had uh, a whole group of people from Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Kyrgyzstan, blah, blah, blah. A lot of very nice, very loved, some of the funniest and loveliest people, right? Um, now, they're awesome uh, until, you know, you, you ask, do you think uh, gay, gayness should be illegal? Uh, and it's like, look, mate, it's just, uh, it's just in the Quran. You just got to do it. Um, they got to go to jail. Um, and I'm going to just do uh, a, quick little, um, a quick little examination of how LGBTQI plus issues are uh, uh, treated um, just generally no religious examination regardless and we're going to see if there's any causation or correlation or, or, uh, yeah. uh, okay so list of countries that stone or execute gay people Afghanistan Iran, Mauritania, Sudan Nigeria, Yemen, Saudi Arabia Somalia now it brings me no pleasure to bring you the fact that all those countries are at least 90% Muslim. I think except for Nigeria. Um, oh, I think Nigeria. Yeah, you might Nigeria be right. Nigeria is 50%. Nigeria is 50%. The rest are north, I believe, of 92%. Mm. Okay. Then list of countries who publicly lash gay people. Indonesia, Qatar, Malaysia, United Arab Emirates. Uh, they're all above 50% uh, Muslim. Now, I think, um, I, you know... I don't have a problem with Muslim people. I quite like Muslim people. You know, you go to the mosque, do your thing, pray to, um, you know, uh, Allah. Pray to Allah. Pray to what's pray to Mecca. Um, do your Ramadan. Cool. Um, that's interesting. I'm happy to engage with that. That's cool, right? Now, the point where um, 52% of British Muslims believe homosexuality should be illegal uh, is where I start having issues. 
when you start saying that uh, criticism of Islam or the Prophet Muhammad should be illegal. That's where I have issues, uh, like the Grand Mufti in Australia suggested. Um, when uh, you have um, significant um, sectors of the Islamic community uh, sympathising with suicide bombers uh, in uh, against Israel, yeah. Uh, that's where we have issues when you are sympathetic to the 9-11 bombers I have issues now um, by and large um, you know I'm, there's not a majority like to say, there's not a majority of Muslims in Australia uh, who I think would make homosexuality illegal but to say it is there is not a significant enough sector that we should be worried about it uh, would also be wrong right um so even if like it was um 10 percent of you know british muslims who believed homosexuality should be illegal that may still be an issue worth worth worrying about um and so all i'm gonna say is that if we we need to understand that if islam is demanding total submission uh we have to understand what is demanding the total submission right and we have to actually understand the text um and although there's definitely some bad stuff in the Bible, uh, definitely some bad stuff in the Torah, uh, what we should be considering as the country, as far as I'm concerned, is the relationship between ideology uh, and action, right? Uh, so if you, know, you want to go and believe in a flying spaghetti monster, I don't mind, um, but then don't um, support physical attacks against people who don't believe that. Uh, that's kind of, you know, your freedom ends, your freedom to move your fist ends where my chin begins. Uh, Alex, what are, you, what are you thinking about that? Oh, before I throw it to Alex, I'll just give a quick, um, Ellen DeGeneres and George Clooney are trying to boycott the hotels owned by um, this, both the Sultan of Brunei and agencies of Brunei. Um, and hundreds of people have protested outside the Brunei-owned Dorchester Hotel uh, in England, I believe. Um, also, it was Tash Olsen who submitted the tip, who wanted us to talk about this. So shout out to Tash Olsen, one of our loyal uh, followers, uh, subscribers, community members. Uh, Alex, so, what do you think about the uh, Brunei situation? Um, just to address your earlier point in terms of the, kind of the victim oppression Olympics, this is why... Um, it is often seen that the revolutions of the left invariably eat themselves uh, because it's extraordinary because if you don't recognise the fact that people are unique there is actually underlying kind of the certain available characteristics whether you're gay or Muslim whatever there are certain um, undeniable individual characteristics that get overlooked and so what ends up happening is that these uh, revolutions end up eating themselves because there is too much overlap between the categories so much so that no one can really identify who the victim is and when the currency, when the respect, when the virtue is in who is the greater Muslim, um, it ends up like uh, kind of a, a sea of piranhas um, where they just kind of eat themselves to the extent that no one really knows which way is up. Um, and this is kind of, it, I don't think it's totally happened yet, but I think this will be one example because it has been picked up a little bit, which may uh, kind of put the light on that really kind of dark aspect of the left. Um Anyone who understands that there is a political aspect of Islam, which is uh, different from the kind of the purely theological aspect of Islam, 
would understand that in the cases where um, Muslims become, it appears the majority in a country, uh, the Western rule of law, um, the idea that everyone is equal before the law, um, no longer applies. Uh, as soon as Islam becomes the doctrine of the majority, um, Western perceptions of what is uh, democratic uh, often get thrown out as well. This is why you have uh, Sharia law uh, follows almost immediately from the uh, progression towards a majority. So, the, so the the issue that you have is that whenever the, these uh, Islamic teachings become the doctrine, the law of the land, is that they get taken literally and then they get backed by the full force of the government and by the courts. Um, so is it any, uh, I mean, when, when we talk about, well, the, the teachings of Islam are entirely peaceful, I would say, well, the teachings of Islam have been indoctrinated into legal principles in these countries and we have open discrimination uh, with carrying death penalties against gay people. So I would say, well, if you're going to say that the doctrine is entirely peaceful, I would say, well, look at the countries practicing the doctrine and uh, you would find that uh, it's not that entirely. Um, I think that the left, if they are, actually do care about gay rights and they care about the discrimination of minority, uh, against minorities uh, with real tangible consequences, not imagined slights uh, against... Uh, the number of gay people in movies or of the number of you know gay people uh, as, as in C-suite positions, I would say, why don't you take a look at the real discrimination which occurs, which is in uh, the Middle East. Um, it's absolutely appalling. It's disgusting. It should bring fear and sickness to anyone who values the rule of law or anyone who values equal treatment under law. Um, this is exactly why the government should treat people as individuals and that the body of law which governs a nation, if it uh, wishes to progress in any way other than backwards, um, should recognise the individual as absolutely supreme and paramount in any legal decision or doctrine. Um, we should oppose the administration of Sharia law here, I think, absolutely and condemn it entirely. Um, because the thing is, uh, the people who are allegedly the most vulnerable, the gays, um, are going to be the first to go. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to pick you up on that. Um, so let's say we do individual uh, in all legal cases related to the government. Uh, would you be against uh, Islamic immig immigration? Would you treat every, or would you treat every person individually who wants to come to the Australia? Um, into uh, would well, but, but you, you've also got to recognise is that um, there are several countries um, which I think have a higher percentage of kind of radical Muslims than there are others. Sure. Um, would would I put an entire Muslim ban? I don't think I would put an entire Muslim ban on. No, because that's what that would do. I ban. I would. Um, I would take it case by case. So you wouldn't you wouldn't do the US highlight several countries, but that's right. Yeah, I would be uh, that would be fine if they were if there were several countries which are. Um, I'm talking about from the remaining countries outside the radical, outside the radical ones. Okay. 
Like I, I, I would, I'm okay with the Muslim ban in the sense that it's um, the Muslim. Uh, the Muslim ban was not so much a permanent ban, but it was a pause until you can you can kind of get an idea of who was coming in from these. From, I think it was seven majority Muslim countries. Mm. It wasn't actually even really a Muslim ban. Yeah, sure. What I'm saying is that I'm conflicted between the idea of treating everybody as an individual and then that recognising that from some countries or broad identity group in particular, there is some co- some problems. Yeah. Uh, and I then, can, yeah, I can see the kind of the contradiction there. Yeah. Um, but I would say in terms of... You, like, your first obligation is to treat your own citizens as individuals. Sure. Um, I don't think you... Like... Yeah, I don't know. I, look, obviously, kind of the, the individualist thing kind of breaks down a little bit if you start talking about majority of Muslim countries. But at the same time, it's unbelievably difficult to to be able to pro- adequately identify what are the individual characteristics coming from people overseas anyway. Yeah, sure. So I think, like, I think individualism is good, and I'm pro-individualism, and I think individualism works in most cases, but I also think there might be limits to it, Right. Um, just in the sense that because we don't look I don't know it's a hard one to explain but I think it needs a bit of thought and I I think it's then hard to be a full time individualist when like there are sometimes group characteristics which are important yeah 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 I think um, and again again it kind of goes to that that it's like a statistics thing at some level it is like you're not saying for example that um, no one says all Muslims are terrorists but for whatever reason there are in some parts of the world a high correlation between uh, faith and acts of terrorism and that doesn't mean of course like you can't flip it the other way Mm. Um, so yeah I, I think the individualist thing does break down to a degree but I think I think we should probably consult some other people on this one. Mm-hmm. I think get another outside opinion because mm-hmm. I reckon there's probably an argument to be to be made for individualism on this one, but also, well, I just doubt it because you're just taking like there's definitely some good, hardworking, um, kind of American dream people who would come who would be coming from those majority Muslim countries who would be banned on that travel ban. Yeah, uh, and they're getting collect they're getting punished collectively for the actions of their country mates. Um, but then again, do you just take a Polish safety approach and just let none of them in? Um, which is a question I don't know the answer to. Yeah, I don't know either. Ben Shapiro did an interesting... Have you seen the video where he yeah. breaks down the kind of the numbers based on the Pew Research, which suggests that obviously his definition of radical is maybe not the same definition that other, uh, other people would apply, but his argument was that when you look at the, the, the numbers and you break down the polling data... Um, by each individual kind of majority Muslim country, you see that a lot. It quite, like it ends up being the majority of the global Muslim population believe in some aspect of Islam, which is widely seen as radical. Mm-hmm. Um, that includes like um, not being able to draw Muhammad, or mm-hmm. not, um, or or, or f- saying that uh, suicide bombings in some cases are justified. You mm-hmm. know, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I did meet, um, yeah, like that's, that's true. I did meet an interesting guy though when I was in China, I think it was from, um, I'll just get my 
Well, I think it was from, um, is this not, oh, the card's full. Um, anyway, I think we'll just wrap it up there then. Uh, this did end up going for a bit longer than I thought it would, because we were just doing two topics. Um, do quickly, quick, should we do a quick finish up? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm nominating, um, Beta Mail of the Week, and I'm just going to give it to them. Um, a New York theatre company... Uh, who posted a project to Backstage who uh, wanted to have um, people of colour paid more than white people uh, and wanted to uh, increase accountability of white people to people of colour in the production process. Disgusting. Um, so they get... Blat- uh, that's blatant racism. So they get a beta mail of the week. And Alex, do you want to just give us a quick rundown of why Bill Shorten's the least liked person in Australia? Uh, I think Bill Shorten's the least liked person in Australia because considering the track record of absolute catastrophic, diabolical fumbling and bumblings of the Liberal government over the past couple of years, um, this election should not even be in question. And if you look at the one common denominator of uh, why the Labor Party is not ahead, it's Bill Shorten. And the reason is the following... Because the gap between the two-party preferred and the preferred Prime Minister is so large. And the only reason that's so large is because not because the Liberal guy is liked, but because Labor, uh, Bill Shorten is disliked so much. And if you took a poll, I reckon, if you genuinely took a poll of almost all Australians and, just, and had a crack and said, who do you think is the least likeable person? Or who do you think you would least like to spend an afternoon in an airport with? I reckon a lot of people would say Bill Shorten. Now, of course, it's anecdotal and this is empirical, um, but I think the polling data suggests he's not very popular and the way he goes about things, he's a little bit weird and he's a little bit creepy. And also, can I just say for the record, there's a bunch of allegations which have been uh, hidden beneath the surface with Bill Shorten, um, including sexual assault allegations and fraud allegations, for whatever reason we're not reporting on. Um, the man, the, he, he's a union thug, uh, he's an absolute derelict when it comes to uh, knowing about electric cars because he thinks they charge in 8 to 10 minutes. This is not an iPhone, buddy, and even an iPhone don't charge that fast. Um, I would say it could there could even be daylight for a second. Okay, very cool. Well, we will see you next week. Thanks for being with us if you're still here. Um, <laughs> follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube. SoundCloud as well. Our SoundCloud. Uh, iTunes, hit the subscribe button, comment on our stuff, it helps us with the algorithm, maybe even share it if you really like it, and if you really extra like it, and you want to throw some sauce our way, throw some chippers this way, into these coffers, uh, you can find us on Patreon, link in the description. Cool, thanks for being with us.